Hello and welcome to the Political Notebook Podcast. I'm Billy Robb. I'm a high school teacher. And I'm Robert Robb, an editorial columnist for the Arizona Republic and Billy's dad. And you're back from Flagstaff uh, for the weekend to cast your primary vote. So we're going to talk about primary voting today. And you can't vote in person, not just by mail now, right? Yes, there's now highly convenient uh, voting centers uh, that anyone who is registered to vote can walk in and get a ballot printed and and uh, cast it and not uh, have to brave the lines on August 28th. So you've been riding up in Flagstaff. Is it like sports? Is riding like sports? We have to adjust to the, to the elevation <laughs> up there, or is it just a natural I, transition? I, I do have some... Critics who uh, claim that my recent writings have been a bit lightheaded, so, <laughs> so perhaps so. <laughs> well, well, we're going to talk about the uh, the Senate races in Arizona, specifically the uh, or the Arizona Senate race and the uh, the primary race for governor. Uh, so the primaries in the Senate, uh, in the primary for the governor. Let's start with the Senate. You wrote a recent column where you. Uh, talk about the competition between the Republican candidates, Martha McSally um, and Kelly Ward. And our pile isn't there too, but um, I don't even think you mentioned him in in your column. Oh, oh, only that he was acceptable to Trump. All, all three of them. Trump, Trump has indicated that all three of them are acceptable to him. And your and your point was that it's silly for this competition on on who who is the most loyal to Trump or who has the favor because they're all, they're all would be all three of the Republican nominees would be supportive of Trump. Um, and so you, you, you say that the, the most important thing or the most important difference between them is, is their style uh, of leadership rather than what their, what their loyalty is. But given that, are you surprised? First question, are you surprised by anything in this campaign? I mean, is it is it just expected that they would be out competing for for Trump loyalty, given the dynamics of the Republican Party in Arizona, um, or would you expect them maybe to to be campaigning on their differences rather than the loyalty to Trump, rather than creating false differences in terms of the extent to which they would pursue a constructive and working relationship with the Trump administration. I, I am surprised um, about the extent to which uh, Republican primaries have become a personality loyalty test. Uh, traditionally, um, there's been an issue loyalty test, a Republican who wants to win a uh, primary uh, needs to be against taxes in favor of lower government uh, spending uh, to adhere to the social conservative agenda and be strong on national defense. And it has been, to the extent there were false distinctions created in Republican primaries, it was about those things. Uh, now it has all been collapsed uh, to uh, do you support Trump? Now, that may be because we have two U.S. senators who are Republicans uh, who are um, fierce Trump critics and opponents. So it may be a bit artificial here, given 
who these candidates are competing to replace. But every indication I've seen from reviewing columns and analyses of national races is that that's common that that's a common theme right uh, now through, throughout the that, country here and, and and so that's a surprise um the differences between the candidates are very nuanced and difficult to translate into um sound bites that campaign rhetoric tends to consist of there there's a difference between the candidates um, on trade. I think McSally is more free trade oriented uh, than uh, Ward is. McSally, like Trump, is willing to consider legal status for dreamers. Uh, Ward uh, isn't willing to consider that as part of any deal. Everything she wants to be done in terms of border enforcement has to be done first, and then she will consider it. She doesn't even uh, go along to uh, commit it. Um, I think that she would be more in the uh, Rand Paul camp in terms of foreign policy uh, than McSally would. Uh, but in reality, there's not a lot of difference between their worldview. Uh, the big difference, as I wrote in a previous column, uh, is that Ward gives every indication that she would be part of what I've dubbed the intransigent caucus, people who would rather see nothing done uh, than to make concessions or compromise to get something done uh -huh. on things like the budget. And McSally has given every indication that she will be part of a governing coalition and be willing uh, to make the concessions uh, to political reality that are necessary in order to keep the lights on in the federal government and maybe get something done on immigration. So that is the real difference for Republican primary voters in this race. Do you want someone who's going to be part of the intransigent uh, caucus? Or are you going to want to have um, someone who's going to be willing to compromise and make concessions to get things done? Both of them wanting to push things into a conservative direction, just differing over tactically how you best get from where we are to where probably both of them would like to end up being. Yeah, and so that's probably the biggest, how you see is the biggest practical difference in, in what your vote will mean is is someone that's going to be a, be more of a hardliner, take it or leave it, this is what, what I'm doing, or Martha McSally who would be, willing to make deals and willing to uh, to negotiate. Do you think that deference, because I, what I see is, you know, all these all these ads, uh, it's like a the personality thing about Trump is almost like a deference of, I'm going to give up my point of view and just believe, I'm just going to tell you what, what Trump wants to, to try to get elected. I think that is a trend across the country for Republicans right now. It's become like a personality loyalty thing um is that i i mean i see it as a as a bad thing i'd rather know what their own ideas are and i, I didn't like when uh you know when they're unable to i know it's a political thing but i know that i don't like when they're unable to criticize the the character or uh, of trump or uh, you know the, the other day when mcsally was unable to or didn't uh say McCain's name at the at, at that kind of thing. I think that's a little bit of deference to Trump. 
do you think that sort of stuff hurts them in the general going against uh, going against a Democrat? And it seems like it's a pretty competitive race. Uh, the Kirsten Cinema most likely to come out of the Democrat side. All this all this deference um, and, and and eagerness to jump on the Trump train. Um, doesn't that come back to bite them once they're in a more, you know, diverse electorate that, you know, overall is pretty unfavorable towards Trump? Um, it, it may, uh, although Trump did carry Arizona. Uh, and uh, Ann Kirkpatrick uh, ran against John McCain on the basis that he was insufficiently critical of, of Trump, and she got thumped. Um, so uh, it's not necessarily a death blow, the real question is the extent to which independents will be motivated to vote uh, and the extent at that point in time uh, that they remain as um, against Trump as they currently appear to be. Obviously, uh, Trump is a turnout machine for Democrats, so I think we can anticipate that there will be a higher than usual Democratic turnout. Uh, whether, but. But that's not enough to get a Democrat over the hump against the registration uh, disadvantage that they face in Arizona. So the real issue in terms of who's going to win this is will the independents get out to vote and will they be turned off uh, by this excessive fealty that's expressed in the Republican primary to Trump? I don't think either one of them are likely to back off uh, that does that commitment to have a constructive working relationship with the Trump administration so even, even and, in, and the general? Even in the general, they're going to keep after like, hey, I'm going to be a, I want to be pro-Trump. I, you know, when he once he I, I inevitably that, says crazy stuff, they're not they're not going to criticize that or or whatever. I I don't think so because they they are also dependent upon there being a healthy Republican yeah. turnout. Yeah, uh, and it is clear that Republican partisans, the hardcore base. Uh, wants someone who's going to be um, constructive and work with the Trump administration rather than criticize it. Yeah, and there's so much else uh, that might happen between between now and, and the general that might tip tip those independents one way or the other, from the economy to the the Russian investigation to any number of unexpected things that might come up. Well, and the Democrats face their own dilemma because because yeah. their party is turning increasingly left. Yeah. Now, now cinema uh, is a um, uh, a proclaimed uh, and deeply a proclaimed deeply dedicated centrist, um, but she will be a Democrat, and the Democratic Party nationally is turning hard left. So there's a there's a chance that the Trump enthusiasm in the Republican Party and the hard move left in the Democratic Party will dispirit independence, and you might not see uh, an increase in turnout. Right now, um, the independents seem to be more than usually interested in the election and are mostly motivated by antipathy towards Trump. Yeah. But as you say, that, that's very much a variable, and that can change between now and November. Last point on the Senate race before we transition to the governor primaries. There's been recent reporting about Democrat Democratic donors spending a lot of money in this race uh, 
not for their person, but for someone they don't want to win, Kelly Ward, who's the weaker uh, or the one that's not in the lead right now in the Republican race. We have Democrats spending money to attack a Republican to try to boost her up or make it at least more competitive leading into the general. Do you think that's a good strategy? Is that a good way for Democrat funders uh, to spend their money in this race? I I absolutely hate to say this, um, but tactically, um, it's a twofer for them. Um, Arizona has a very late primary. Uh, I have advocated for a long time to move the Arizona primary to June so that parties with contested primaries aren't punished in the general election, to give them time to heal, time to recoup, time to get ready for a general election. Um, So from a Democratic perspective, uh, negative advertising against McSally might have the benefit of electing Kelly Ward, who is perceived to be the weaker general election candidate. And if it doesn't have that result, it's just beginning the process a little early of trying to discredit McSally for the general election. And starting your attacks, what you normally do in the general, just starting that early. Yeah, just and it's not a lot early. I mean, ordinarily, the general election campaign gears up after Labor Day. Well, you're just talking about two and a half, three weeks um, earlier. So I absolutely hate to say it, but as a tactical move, um, this makes a lot of sense for demo- large Democratic donors to be engaged in this particular attack. So let's use that to transition to the governor race because uh, on the Republican side, there hasn't been a lot of spending already on a similar thing of attacking the uh, Democratic gubernatorial candidate, uh, David Garcia, on several things. <laughs> so um, let's talk first, though, about some of those attacks uh, have come from gaffes that I would think, I would call them gaffes that, that Garcia has made. Um, he might call them tactical decisions to, to get the more progressive uh, movement. But you know, for one, giving a nod to the Abolish ICE movement, uh, David Garcia uh, in, his, in his race against Steve Farley and uh, Kelly Fryer has come out kind of hardline and doesn't use the exact words Abolish ICE, but has basically said, I want to get rid of it and replace it with something else. He also made a trip to New Orleans at a um, progressive, uh, I guess, fundraising event or something, the the Netroots Conference, where he said, imagine no wall on the southern border. And most people interpreted as, wait, we have a wall now, so if you have to imagine something new, you're imagining no wall. When he said he was referencing, no, just imagine that Trump doesn't get his wall. So that was confusing and that he was attacked on that. He had a, a staffer that he had to fire who was making uh, anti-Arizona and anti-U.S. tweets. And then the final thing that's kind of been piled on is uh, he's got a book coming out titled School Choice, conveniently um, coming out a couple weeks after the primary on August 28th. So there's been a lot of pile on uh, of David Garcia, who was seen as the front runner in this race. Uh, so... I know there's not a whole lot of polling data out there that's recent, but do you see David Garcia as in trouble in his race against uh, Steve Farley and Kelly Fryer? Um, 
Is it possible that Kelly Fryer is going to cut into some of the more progressive Democrats, get his votes, or is it possible that Steve Farley is making a, a strong enough campaign out of it now that he has a chance on August 28th? My guess is that um, these perceived gaffes uh, don't significantly affect the Democratic primary except upon by that segment of the electorate that's going to make a tactical uh, decision and support the candidate that they think has the best chance against uh, Doug Ducey and the general. Um, Garcia had was perceived to have had the better argument about that um, because uh, he was claiming that he could change the demography of the general election turnout. Mm -hmm. um, Tom Steyer is investing significant amounts of money in trying to register um, uh, young people in Arizona and Latinos in Arizona. Uh, Garcia um, feels that as a Latino candidate, uh, he can increase Latino turnout in the general election. And that was uh, believed to, for tactical voters to have a lot of appeal. I think that this has uh, suggested that he also comes with risks. And uh, Steve Farley uh, in the debates and in other contexts uh, has demonstrated, I think, uh, by general consensus, a superior command of the issues, a superior ability to make the case against Ducey substantively. So my guess is there has been at least a slight shift among tactical voters looking for the strongest general election candidate from Garcia uh, to uh, Farley. Farley has more money. Uh, none of them have much money. And in contrast to my belief that the Democrats investing heavily and beating up on Martha McSally at this point in this stage in, in the election makes sense. I don't think that the expenditures that the Republican Governors Association and others are making against Garcia um, does make sense. So you, you um, don't think the same logic applies to I, this? Why not? Well, because um, it is unclear who the Democratic front, front runner is. It is unclear... Um, which one of them would be the stronger candidate against Ducey? So unlike it being a clear consensus mm -hmm. that McSally would be the stronger candidate against Cinema, it's I don't think it's clear whether Garcia or uh, Farley would be the stronger general election candidate. Um, and it's not clear which one of them is likely to win. Uh, so uh, you may be investing a whole bunch of money to beat up and make the weaker candidate less likely to emerge uh, from the primary. And they're going to, whoever wins it is going to wake up uh, the day after the primary broke with not a lot of time to yeah. mount a campaign. So uh, to me, that would be the time tactically to spend your money, to, spend your money uh, to try to put them so deep in the hole that once they do recover and can spend their own money, uh, they've got, um, a lot of makeup to do rather than just going on the attack against Ducey. Yeah, the biggest difference to me between the between the candidates is the immigration thing from the 
except for, you know, Farley's playing up his experience, uh, every, you know, every time. And he's, he's been there for all these debates and he's, he's that got the experience to be effective. But one, in terms of policy, one of the, one of the biggest emphasis I, I see as differences on immigration that Farley recognizes the security issue as well as the humanitarian issue, whereas uh, Garcia and and Fryer really just focused on the on the humanitarian part, almost not even granting the fact that there is security things. Would you agree with that, or do you see any other um, really important policy differences that would differentiate the three? Um, there is a difference on tax policy, uh, even though Farley has endorsed the in, invest in ed, uh, proposition with its, uh, large increase in, uh, marginal income tax rates on the affluent. Uh, he's also made it clear it's not his preferred option, uh, that, uh, his preferred option is to broaden the sales tax base. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think my guess uh, is that by the time we get to November, uh, Invest in Ed is going to be an albatross uh, around whoever the Democratic nominee is. Uh, Garcia has no choice except to wear that albatross, uh, whereas Farley at least uh, can make the argument that he was a reluctant supporter for it and that it's not his <clears throat> preference. Do you think it's going to get attacked or, or so unpopular that it will become a bad thing for whoever was advocating for it? That is my anticipation. Um, I, obviously, that could turn out to be uh, terribly wrong, but uh, that is what I um, suspect uh, will will be the case and that it will be a big negative uh, by the time we, we get to November. Farley has a better argument to be made uh, that that shouldn't be uh, determinative uh, mm-hmm. for him than Garcia does, who uh, embraced it from the get-go and is bragging in the Democratic primary about having had his folks uh, collect um, signatures for yeah. him. We'll find that out on August 28th. One one more. The, the, the Republican side, there really is no question, really, that Ducey's going to uh, beat Ken Bennett in the Republican primary, but um, he is getting attacked for a few for a few things, not debating uh, Ken Bennett, not participating in a uh, in the town hall about gun safety with the um, March for Our Lives kids, um, and then when he did speak at um, Charlie Kirk's group uh, turning points. Uh, there was some bad press about about that and some of the uh, the racism of people who have been in that group. Um, do you think that stuff will any of that stuff will hurt him going in? And what do you what do you make of his strategy of kind of just um, you know kind of staying staying out of it, not debating, not participating? Um, uh, again, I, I would rather not come to this conclusion, but <laughs> I have to say I think it is. Um, for someone in his position, uh, the sound uh, strategy. All that stuff is um, the political equivalent of inside baseball. I mean, it's something that those that those of us who are uh, hopelessly addicted to politics <laughs> um, obsess over uh, and pay attention to. Uh, but 
doesn't affect the lives of, of uh, the average uh, voter. And debates are hugely overrated. I mean, they, they've become just joint press conferences where everybody just parrots the same nonsensical um, sound bites that they uh, develop for standalone speeches. And, and so they're, they're just um, gaff gotcha occasions that a bit and and, <clears throat> and it's and, and and so for a front runner if, if Bennett would have qualified um, for public financing early enough to make any use of the money it might have been different but given that he was just not going to be a factor uh, not only because he had no money but is he's trying to run as the Trump candidate and uh, Ducey has walked the Trump type rope as good as any Republican politician yeah. around. You just can't make an anti-Trump uh, uh, claim uh, against him. Um, so I I think it was the right strategy. I, I, I don't think it will affect the general election at all. If he continues to play the rope-a-dope strategy in the general election, then that might come, and there is a large independent turnout, uh, that's leaning anti-Republican, and there's money on the Democratic side, uh, you might be able to parlay that into an issue that might have some effect. Uh, my guess is that there will be more salient issues that the Democrats can uh, use in making the case if they're in a position to make a case and have the resources to do so. Right. I think I like the debates. I know maybe they are prepackaged talking point gaff machines. But I, I think I learned something when I see two people facing each other, talking to each other. And the more open, the better. I think it depends on the moderator. But be able, I think voters appreciate it too. Well, see, seeing their personalities more open than, than just a commercial or something. Um, well, you, you, you haven't um, joined your father in being hopelessly politically addicted. Um, but you, you, you certainly have kind of caught the bug. <laughs> I don't, uh, and and so for those that 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 uh, have a deep interest, so you say, you're uh, saying the average voter doesn't doesn't look at. I get a sense the, the average voter they, they, do they, look at debates or at least see it as an opportunity to help make their decision. In, in the primary debates, um, viewership of these things are nil mm-hmm. um, at. Presidential debates uh, last time around got big audiences, but it was in part the Trump drama yeah. effect. But but they usually get big audiences. Even gubernatorial and U.S. Senate debates um, in the general in the general do not get large audiences. It's more the the sense of how the candidates did that gets spun after the debate is over actually reaches more voters uh, than uh, people who actually tuned in to render their own judgment or you, develop their own judgment. Now, do you think these candidates are currently not debating? Some of the primary candidates are not debating each other. The Republican Senate side and, and Ducey is not debating right now. I don't think Cinema is debating um, her Democrat opponent, uh, Deidre Abood, either. Will they... Debate each other in the in the general. Will we get to see that? Do you think? I think Ducey would have. I think Ducey will try to limit the number of debates because 
he will perceive that he has um, the advantages everywhere else, uh, but I can't imagine that he won't uh, agree to some. Uh, my anticipation is is that McSally will be interested in debating cinema fairly frequently. Uh, whether cinema would have uh, the same view or whether she will try to limit debate, um, I don't know. I can't figure that one out. But McSally, I think, believes that she... I suspect McSally thinks that having one-on-one -on -one opportunities to try to chip away at this centrist image that cinema has effectively projected and is investing money today to try to solidify in the electorate, um, I think Ms. McSally will want the opportunity to try to chip away at that. We will see these outcomes 10 days from now, August 28th. We'll record this on the 19th. <clears throat> on August 28th, when the primaries are decided. That'll wrap it up for us uh, for this episode, but thank you very much for listening. Um, if you enjoy listening to the Political Notebook, uh, please spread the word, uh, share us on social media, talk to people, um, recommend the podcast. Uh, you can also go on iTunes and um, leave us a rating uh, and subscribe on any, any podcasting app. Uh, my dad will be going back up to Flagstaff, but we will... Uh, try to keep um, somewhat regular podcast episodes uh, going. So thank you for tuning in.